Hello and welcome to episode 130 of Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, telling stories from the LAFC community match by match, fan by fan, story by story. Tonight we are once again joined by Los Angelinos Oridionales. Francisco and Raul from LAO will be joining us today. Please give them a follow at LAFC LAO. Our opponent correspondent this evening will be Caleb Turner representing Real Salt Lake. He works at kslsports.com. You can follow them at ksl.com and at KSLcom Sports. My name is Jonathan Reimer. Joining me, as always, Christian Aparicio and Christopher Sines. Gentlemen, good evening and welcome. Nice to talk to you both after an awesome victory and an awesome episode with LAO coming on. And can't wait to see what Caleb has to say about the upcoming MLS match later this week. What's up, Black and Gold family? Glad to be back. Another victory in the bag. Looking forward to this weekend and the close of the transfer window. All right, gentlemen, so let's go ahead and dive into our last victory. LAFC defeated Seattle 2-1 to one at the bank. It started off on a bit of an awkward note with a Mario own goal in the 14th minute. It was followed up shortly thereafter by a Carlos Vela goal. Absolutely sensational outside of the foot, side of the net, and it was ruled off for a handball. But then Carlos said, uh-uh, we're going to make this happen. And it's Opoku who fires a screamer, absolute brilliant from Opoku to tie it up in the 35th. Vela would get his own back again legally this time in the 43rd on a brilliant dime from Sifu. There was a second half, but nothing really happened in it. I suppose you could argue that Gareth Bale came into the game. Woohoo, that was fun. But other than that, not really a whole lot happened in that second half. But boys, Let's dive into it. What are your thoughts on our 2-1 defeat of Seattle? A team that, frankly, let's be honest, has had our number over the past years. And even though it wasn't the most beautiful of games and LAFC did not play the most beautiful of soccer, it was still a beautiful result. It was a good game for us, you know, to be able to score in the first half, number one, even though one of those was taken off. I think Seattle had really one chance and it was an own goal, but it would probably have would have been a goal. There was a couple of players coming into the, the cross and gonna, we're going to finish unless, you know, it was a horrendous miss. I think they had one of the chance on a set piece on a corner kick where Ariaga missed. But other than that, and it wasn't on goal and we didn't give up any, any shots on goal after that. I think we dominated. I think we have maturity, defensive prowess now, defensive confidence with Chiellini. I think it was a masterclass of anticipation, reading angles turning turnovers into front foot attacks. So I thought the first half had everything. I do agree with with you that the second half was maybe less than entertaining, but that's also a skill set that LAC never had in terms of managing a game and not allowing the other team to have more than a half chance from 30 yards out. Overall, I was pleased because this is the kind of game we're going to have in the playoffs where margins of error are going to be slim and the opportunities given by the other team are not going to be many. So you have to convert the few that you have. Yeah, obviously I thought that LAFC had played well. I was looking forward to seeing how how they would come out. You know, when we had previous opponent correspondent Jackson Feltz come on, I did have a little bit of, of the worry about how LAFC would come out and play because Seattle definitely is one of those teams that knows how to win. But I thought that LAFC played well overall. You know, the own goal was, you know, something that doesn't happen, especially with LAFC. I think that it, it just showed that the black and gold were, were definitely very prominent and dominant on the field. You know, I think a lot of people riding Murillo for the own goal. I, I really don't think there's much he could have done there. 
if he doesn't attempt to make a play on the ball, it goes right through to a tap in at the back post. He's got to go in and get it. And, and he almost redirected it right into the keeper's hands. Max almost had it. It just was a foot to the left of Max there. And so, you know, I, I have to applaud Mario for trying to do anything he could to block that cross. It was really a, a pretty poor defensive breakdown that led to that counterattack. There was a lot of rough passing through the midfield in this game. We had a particularly poor showing in the midfield. And as much as I love the guy, Latif Blessing really just did not look like he was up to playing the defensive mid role on the night that he was assigned. And and there was a lot of, of really rough things that LAFC put up uh, as far as their play throughout a very congested midfield and attempting to play out the back. And, you know, Kalini had some really, really bright spots in that first half, but we ended up getting an incredibly ugly second half. But despite all of those things, despite LAFC playing one of their poorest games of the season, we held Seattle to zero zero shots on goal and if you have a game in which you're looking around the pitch and you know you're seeing a lot of poor performances and yet the opposing team gets absolutely nothing out of it you know you've really got to say at the end of the day LAFC did the job and ugly wins at the end of the season count just as much as beautiful wins in those three points in supporter shield standings and if LAFC are going to hoist a second supporter shield in the history of this club it's going to take ugly wins to get there. You know, a couple other things of note in the game. I thought Sifu was absolutely fire in this game. Just looking at the faces of some of those Juve players sitting on the sideline when Sifu was throwing up dimes and putting in moves. Um, You know, fans, look, enjoy him while we got him. Because if he keeps playing like this, I, I can't imagine there's not a club that's going to swoop in with a really large amount of money. One that LAFC are going to find very hard to say no to. Um. Just, you know, I mean, a great result at the end of what was a pretty ugly game. But any final thoughts on the performance, gentlemen, before we move on? I expect more like these with some of the top end teams being able to manage the end of the game. And let's think about Bale not even being at full fitness or in full sync with Vela or whatever the third striker combination is. So I'm very optimistic. This makes me feel even better in terms of the defensive shape, given a talented team. I know that Rui Diaz wasn't there. I know that Joe Paolo's out for the season, but, you know, that's why depth matters. And a team like LAFC, if we have a couple guys down, we have the next person up that's more than capable of executing their role. My last thing that I want to mention is uh, just the opportunity that LAFC had getting some of the Juventus players to come and see the match. I think that that was definitely very good for getting this club on the global scale. We're just continuing to be in that spotlight on the international level. And um, I think that it looked like those players had a good time. The match photos that we saw, obviously the having the connection with uh, Giorgio Chiellini made a huge impact as to why they were there. But from all the reports that I had heard, they had had a great time, which I think is just great for our club. Yes, and uh, Mr. Angel de Maria, I just wanted to remind you that uh, we still have a DP slot open. So, um, you know, it looked like you really loved that 3252 scarf you were wearing throughout the course of the game. And if you'd like to potentially be awarded one of those man of the match scarves, um, dial up our boy JT. I think he's uh, 1-800-I-GOT-THE-TAM. I miss how you get a hold of him. So by all means, drop him a line. Moving on, Chris, you've got some community news you'd like to drop on us from our friends at Global Diplomatic. Yeah, absolutely. I spoke with uh, Carlos Aguirre today. They've got an event going on for Global Diplomatic. It's going to be August 14th. So so just coming up in uh, just under two weeks, August 14th is going to be a Sunday and it's going to be 
be at Lab 5, which is a outdoor soccer facility over in Pacoima. And it is a $50 event. It's going to be for kids ages 3 to 15. They're going to have three different groups. It's going to be ages 3 to 5, 6 to 10, and then 11 to 15. The It's August 14th from 5 to 6.30. Four LAFC players are going to be there. Latif Blessing, David Jesus Murillo, Jose Cifuentes, and Eddie Segura are going to be there. And all of this is to fundraise to get funds to help out a young lady who is a young Ecuadorian girl who has cerebral palsy and she needs to have seven surgeries to help get her to walk again. So they are actively looking to try and fundraise for this opportunity. So if you're available on Sunday from five to six 30 and you you can go to Pacoima, bring out your kids. I'm going to be there with my two sons. Anytime you get an opportunity for my sons to be around LAFC players, I try and take advantage of it. I mean, just that alone is worth the price of entry, let alone the fact that they get to play football for an hour and a half. So if you guys are interested in trying to find out more information, you guys can hit us up on our podcast and we can uh, pass out that information or you can hit up Global Diplomatic, which is at Global Diplomatic on Instagram. They will also be highlighting the events to go forward. And, And if you're looking to reach out to register your kid, just shoot a message, Global Diplomatic, or if you're having a hard time getting a hold of them, you can send us a message at LAFCS2S and we will pass along that information. A really cool event and for quite a noble cause. Along the same lines of community news and notes, we'd like to pass along that Pride Republic is going to be hosting a drag queen bingo night. All of the proceeds are going to go to the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. That is going to be August 10th from 7 p.m. to 9.30. That will be at Hamburger Mary's on Santa Monica Boulevard. So two great events to get out, support the community, and help raise some money for two very, very noble causes. All right, gentlemen, wrapping up news and notes this week, there were a couple rumors that dropped. The first of which, Mario, rumored to be on the move to Trabzonspor, which I have no idea if I'm even anywhere near pronouncing that right. But with the arrival of Kilini, the emergence of Mamadou Fall, Eddie Segura coming back from health, there are certainly a lot of center backs across this LAFC back line. And it does appear as though Mario could potentially be on the move. We know he is a beloved player within the LAFC locker room, and we'd be sad to see him go. He's put in a lot of really important minutes for us so far this season. But Mario, rumored to be on the move. Danny Mazowski, rumored to be solving the RSL striker issue. Ever since Krylock went down earlier this year, it could be potentially that Danny Mazowski could be on the move. Brian Rodriguez, Raito. Rumored to be heading to Flamengo or a number of other spots. Another player beloved within the LAFC locker room. We know he's a player that Steve Chirundolo thinks very, very highly of his abilities. I think this is one of those, if a giant offer comes in, the team would accept it. But unless somebody blows our socks off, I doubt that one is going to happen. Diego Rossi, potentially on the move to Burnmouth, Sao Paulo, Fiorentina, Beatis, Villarreal, all apparently in the bidding war for Diego Rossi, a former LAFC player, but this has a direct impact on this LAFC squad, as of course, LAFC still owns a percentage of his rights. And if that sale were to be profitable, then LAFC could cash in on some of those profits as well, too. And of course, if Brian Rodriguez or Muzoski end up being on the move, There are a couple rumored signings that could be replacing him. 
the first one that's been passed around is Denny Buwanga. Um, he is a Gabonese player currently playing in France, although there have been a few people who think that the move is unlikely, but it would only happen if a large offer came in for the immediate sale of Raito. There have also been rumors around the Austrian winger Yusuf Demia, who currently plays for Rapid Wien, who plays out of Vienna. Um, he is a 19-year-old who spent his time, six months of it at least last season, on loan with Barcelona. Wow, that is a lot to unpack, gentlemen, a lot going on. So what, in your opinion, boys, is the believability meter of any of these rumors? And do you think any of this is actually going to make it over the line before the deadline? Well, we still have at the time of recording, right? We're here on Tuesday. Deadline is in two days on Thursday. Danny Masovsky, I think that that's a possibility. It's just dependent on whether or not RSL is looking for a player like Danny Masovsky to come in and facilitate, you know, and let's be honest, with Gareth Bale coming and there's the rumors that LAFC is looking to sign another designated player. You know, those striker positions are few and far between, you know, Apoku is looking amazing and it, it just looks like it's going to be a lot harder for Danny Masofsky to get the minutes that he probably would like to have. I also think that Mario getting a move could potentially happen. I mean, there was a little bit on the social media aspect where he ended up liking Trabanza Spore's social media page, which, you know, for those of you that want to read into that, that could be an indication of something. It could be totally nothing. But those are the two that, in my opinion, that they could potentially, if they leave LAFC, those are the two that I think have the most validity. Obviously, the Diego Rossi move I'm not following that as much, but I I wouldn't doubt it. And Fiorentina, I believe, was one of the original teams that was looking to acquire Diego from us. This was during COVID or just at the beginning of COVID. So that's a team I think that has been constantly looking at Diego and keeping an eye on him. But it would be great to see, you know, you know, seeing a player like Diego going and, and moving on to a more recognizable European league, I think is going to, it would be something a lot of people would like to see. And in terms of, the players coming in, I think the one I would look most intrigued about is Yusuf Demir. I just think having a younger, talented player who is almost a little bit unproven, a little bit of that raw talent, those are some of the players that I'm most excited to see. I agree with you. Um, I think, well, to me, the likeliest one is Danny Mazowski to RSL. And then if that happens, I think it creates that space for Yusuf, just from a numbers in terms of attackers, availability to be in the roster. Murillo, maybe maybe he goes, but I think it's a winter move. I don't think he'll move now, honestly. I don't think we're gonna try to disrupt the back line unless it's a you know significant amount over what we paid for him. And then Brian Rodriguez, I, I'm not sure like in the last couple days here if there is that appetite from Europe or South America to pay a multiplier of what we paid for him. And if that doesn't happen, I think he has the rest of this season leading up to the World Cup to prove himself. So he's gonna be motivated. So those are my opinions on the likelihood. I think one will there'll be one addition, um, and the addition is either going to come because someone left, or we're going to have to be forced to move someone because someone came in. On this week's episode of Voices of the Black and Gold, they had uh, Michele Gione on the show who covers LAFC for Teo Diane, and he described his belief and his opinion in speaking to the players of Raito leaving as very unlikely. 
given his popularity within the clubhouse, the belief from Chirundolo that he still has a lot to show. And I think the team believes his stock will only go up if he spends more time with the team. So I agree with you. I think the Danny Mazoski to RSL seems to have the most traction. The rest of these are all seeming to be rumors at the moment, but LAFC does have that open designated player slot. And they've been talking about adding an attacker. And now would certainly be the time to do it. And if Mazowski were to depart the club, then you know perhaps that is the opening for a player to be brought in. I think that about wraps us up for news and notes. Before we get into today's guest, we had someone who reached out to us in regards to some comments I made on our last episode. I had a bit of a soapbox moment in where I was a little frustrated with the P-Chant rearing its ugly head at our last two away games. And frankly, I've gotten a lot of people who have reached out to me over that moment. Um, And in order to continue that conversation, one prominent member of the LAFC community asked if they could use our show as a platform to express their personal beliefs about how this affects the LGBTQ plus community here within Los Angeles. So prior to heading into our guest today with LAO, we are going to take a quick moment to hear from friend of the show, former guest of the show and member of the leadership of LAFC's Pride Republic. So we will be back in just a quick moment with a few words from Len Lonzi. Jonathan, it is great to be back. I am so happy uh, that you've invited me to be with you shoulder to shoulder as we talk about a subject that, you know, quite frankly, I and many others find very troublesome, very worrisome, and it makes our experience at the bank and other stadiums unsafe. And I, you know, as a gay man, as someone who has uh, fought the fight, I've lost my job for being gay in my lifetime. I've been discriminated against. I know what that feels like. It hurts. It hurts your heart. It hurts your psyche. It hurts the people around you. And I'm not here to complain or whine, but I'd like to offer the people who use the chant, who think that it's not offensive, an opportunity to rethink how they do that. Because I can't stop how they feel or how they talk, but what they do affects other people and it affects their behavior. Being gay and out in today's society is fairly normal. Here in Los Angeles, we're very lucky because we live in a progressive open society where we can stand shoulder to shoulder at a soccer match and feel safe and feel loved and be supportive. But what about that kid who comes to a match who hasn't really explored what what their sexual orientation is? And how does that make them feel when they hear something that makes them feel unwelcome? Is it fair to them to be part of our club and yet have to be subjected to something that makes them feel unwanted, put down, threatened? I would ask people to think about those questions as they feel that that's their right to say whatever they want. You know, you can't yell fire in a, in a theater. Uh, all speech is not protected. And what you say in your own home and how you say things to your friends, I can't control. But you can't do it in the stadium. You can't do it at away games. You can't do it at home games. It just, there's no place for it in football. Our club is based on our total community where we all belong. And it warmed my heart during our pride game when that, the biggest banner we've ever done with the 3252, that TIFO said, 
in Los Angeles, everyone belongs. And that's the message we need to hear from football fans around the world. We all belong. We just witnessed history this week with the English women's team winning for the first time in 60 years, the Euro Cup. And to see those women running around as excited and have a record number of people at the stadium in England was an amazing thing. And it will raise up how young women, how young girls and how young boys see their peers as being equal and belonging. And this is no different. This is no different. So when I hear that P chant, the message I hear and what other people hear is that we're not welcome. We don't care about you. We're gonna threaten you. And that, that isn't the essence of what this game is all about. The players play for 90 minutes with their hearts out. We as fans are there with them for 90 minutes to make sure they feel supported and we have to support each other. So my message and my desire is, if you wanna use that word, use it in private. If you come to the bank and you wanna support our team, yell and scream, there's plenty of chants out there that you can learn and use and have fun and make this a loving, welcome environment for all. And I'm so happy, Jonathan, that you've asked me to come on. And when I listened to your podcast, a couple of weeks ago, and you went off on your rant, I was stunned. I was stunned that this problem has reared its head again, and I thought we were done with it. And we're never going to stop that errant fan from coming into our stadium who's never been there before, who thinks it's okay. So it's everybody's responsibility to police that, to make sure that people know that that's not appropriate at the Bank of California Stadium. That's not appropriate with the Los Angeles Football Club. That's not appropriate in MLS. That's not appropriate in USA soccer. That is not who we are as a nation. That's not who we are as a people. And I don't see how it can be done any other way. I just ask you to think about how you want to be seen and heard and how you want people to react to you. And we all want to be friends. We all want to support this club together. So stop the chant, have some fun, and let's go LAFC because we have another half of the season to go and not only are we going to win the Supporters' Shield, by God, we're going to win the, the Cup this year. That MLS Cup is in our hands, and I can't wait for all of us to joyously lift it up and be there for all of us. Len, I, I can't thank you enough for sharing those words. That was very passionate, very moving, very powerful stuff there. Thank you so much for saying that. If you are a fan and you are at Bank of California Stadium and you witness this chant happening, we encourage you to speak up to if you are not comfortable letting the person know that that is not an acceptable thing to do in our stadium, I would encourage you to use text hotlines that you can find all over the bank. Find a member of security. If you're in the North End, you can report it to a member of leadership for one of the SGs. And I would encourage you to help us root this out before people who might be unaware that this is unacceptable in our stadium continue to do so and continue to affect people. More importantly, if you are a person who feels affected by this chant, and maybe you don't know that there is already a community of like-minded folks within Bank of California Stadium, and you wanted to reach out, Len, where could you find the folks from Pride Republic before, during, and after a game? We can be found both before the game and after the game at Christmas Tree Lane. We're right next door to our sis brothers and sisters at D9U. 
and we want you to be there with us, come meet us. We don't care if you're gay, if you're straight, if you're a lesbian, if you're transgendered, it just doesn't matter because we're all people. We wanna party with you just like you would wanna party with us. So we're welcome to have you. And then at the seven minute mark at halftime, you will find us in the Northeast corner of the stadium where we take a picture with all the LGBT supporters and our allies. And we post that to uh, social media and you can find us on social media on Instagram or on Facebook at Pride Republic. So with that, I thank you very much, Jonathan and Chris and Christian for all that you do. We stand shoulder to shoulder with you and thank you again. Thank you again, folks. Len Lonzi, senior leader for the folks over at Pride Republic. You can reach out to them on social media. They are a wonderful group of people to go and hang out with. We know Pride Republic has some charity events coming up. There's going to be a really cool uh, bingo night that's coming up, I believe, in West Hollywood um, in the next few weeks. Um, they might even have some drag queen action going on there. So uh, it's going to be fun times. And all of that money is going to support the Mofasio Memorial Futsal Court. So not only is it going to be a fun night, but it is for a good cause. Um, and partying with the folks from Pride Republic is a wild and entertaining and such a blissful night with really good people. So encourage you to go out there, whether you're a member of the LGBT plus community or you're simply an ally or simply someone who's curious and wants to start a conversation. I encourage you to reach out to the folks at Pride Republic Christmas Tree Lane seven minutes into halftime in that northeast corner or check them out on social media. Some really, really good people. And once again, thank you, Len, for lending the voice of your community to us here on Shoulder to Shoulder. Thank you. With that, folks, we will be right back with the next segment of today's show. This is Nick Cajola, starting trumpet player for LAFC, and you are listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Do it for LA. Joining us as our guest this week, making their triumphant return to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, the return of the first ever LAFC fans to be guests on this show, hearkening back all the way to episode four, we have the return of none other than Los Angelinos Originales, Francisco Javier Preto and Raul Vargas. Gentlemen, welcome back to Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Thank you guys it. for having us again. Oh, it's an honor. I went back and listened to the episode. And uh, I think we had recently met. I was hanging out with you guys. And at that point, you were prospective part of the ISU, the 3252, the world renowned. And now you're full members. And it's an honor to not only have a friendship. We didn't see each other as much the last couple of years because of COVID. But the connection's always been there. The support for the show, our support for you guys. So it's awesome to have you both back on to be able to tell us your story since then. I was going to say also, you know, make sure you guys follow uh, LAO, uh, Los Angelinos Originales at LAFC LAO on Instagram. Always having good content, you know, showing out what we do in the stands. And by we, I mean them because I don't sit in the 3252 and they bring it. <laughs> uh, I'm in the South End. I'm sitting with my son because I don't have the energy like these guys do. And they have kids. In fact, Francisco has four. And Rule has one little daughter. And he still still has the energy to to bring it every home match. Christian, that's no excuse, brother. All right? You can bring the baby X into the North End, just slap some headphones on him and get at it. I mean, I think Julio's got like his two-week-old daughter in the North End. So look, no excuses, brother. All right, let's make it happen. But... I'm making excuses because I can't do it. <laughs> Jonathan's right. My wife actually has seats in the South End and my daughter hated the North End last season. This season, I got the headphones. She's digging it. She She's actually wants to go to games like 
before I was no, I don't want to go, Dad. Now we just let's go to let's go to football game. Okay, she's she's ready before I'm even out the door. See, look, that is parenting done right. Shots fired. All right? <laughs> we'll see. Maybe we'll make a cameo. We'll take a picture for you, Jonathan. We'll keep using the same one. Anytime. You're welcome. Anytime. You know that. We can right, we can boys. always Photoshop you into um, our pictures. We we have some really talented Photoshop people <laughs> in our in our chat, so we can do that too. <laughs> well, speaking of making early memories like your your sons and daughter and your daughter too francisco let's go all the way back you know when did, when did the beautiful game enter you guys' lives i think for me it was just always like family parties i think that my dad always putting on the game putting on mexico games early on and and i think for the most part i know that there was always a game on but it was mostly from what i remember mexico games at parties or everyone going from mexico and i think i was just a black sheep because i was the one that you know rooted for the u.s men's national team Right into whole, all the family would go for Mexico. And I think that's like the earliest memory for me and, and just falling in love with pain, I guess, because they always lost back in the day. And then now, you know, super proud of that, that they've come a long way and, and just the rosters filled with talent. I don't know, just looking back and just thinking about it, just remembering those times with, with my dad and when he used to watch it with his friends and my uncles. And for me, I literally, I grew up right across from a park, Hoover Park. So I have pictures when I was like one or two years old, kicking the ball with, with the Chivas jersey, Mexico jersey at the park. So I was pretty much born to this, like into the sport. My grandpa was a huge soccer fan. My dad, not so much, but yeah, the love was there since like day one. Pretty much, I didn't have a choice. Like I kind of got thrown into the sport. I wasn't introduced into other sports until like I was in high school. Did you guys... So- play organized sports at all i played out through through high school no i didn't i never ended up playing in any any soccer team or any any basketball football or anything like that my dad threw me into boxing very young and you know i grew up doing that and and just playing with you know if it it came down to soccer i would just play with my friends at 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 parties or at the park or every now and then i joined one of those little leagues but it wasn't anything serious to like consider myself an actual you know player of, of the sport so no for me it was just a lot of boxing and and growing up doing that. So Francisco, you mentioned that you were a U.S. national team fan. Were there any club teams that you supported as a kid? And and to follow up, Raul, I mean, what were your allegiances uh, as far as being a, a young soccer lover? I mean, were there any teams or national teams that you supported? Like I said, um, growing up, I supported Chivas and just Mexico. Once I got into like middle school, I started following the U.S. national team. And then from there, I never really followed the MLS until LAFC was announced, I honestly followed local soccer more than I did at the MLS. So like Cal, Mesoamerica, there's other like amateur soccer teams that are, were really known around LA that it was a pretty big scene before LAFC arrived. For me, it was pretty simple. No, I didn't care much for the MLS. I never really followed it, never really paid attention too much to it or any of the, the teams that were at the there at that time. I think for me in middle school, I just started noticing Barcelona with with Ronaldinho. It didn't really start hitting me more towards like late high school, early college, um, when I started really digging into Barcelona more and more. I think my for me it was just the more the focus of of the U.S. men's national team. You know, hoping that they're going to be Mexico whenever we we watch them, or even at the World Cup that when they participated in the World Cups. But yeah, other than that, just Barcelona, maybe Dorados, but they're not a Liga MX team, and that was just because. 
my dad always talked about them, you know, as we were growing up too. You mentioned you're a Ronaldinho fan. I'm going to have to invite you out to an MASL game because I don't know if you've heard, but Ronaldinho just purchased an MASL franchise in a city yet to be officially named. But uh, at some point in the time in this next MASL season, his club and him are going to be showing up where Philly and I are broadcasting. So I'll have to throw some tickets your way and have you come on out and uh, maybe get you a chance to meet Ronaldinho. Should be pretty cool. You mentioned Ronaldinho being one of your favorite players. Uh, Raul, did you have any favorite players growing up that you followed regardless of their team or country or any any big names that kind of drew you into the sport a little bit deeper? I actually did, Jonathan. Once once I started playing in middle school, I started following Manchester United. Huge Rooney fan, Giggsy. <laughs> of course, Ronaldo. But once, once Ronaldo left... It was a little bittersweet love. I still followed him, but not like before. But um, I would say Rooney was Rooney had a huge impact on me growing up. Now you're not becoming a DC United fan, honest, are you? Oh no, not at all. But you have the risk. You have the respect, <laughs> Waza, for what he did. So looking, looking, you know, flash forward a little bit to you know 2016, 2017. You know, talk to us a little bit about when you first heard LAFC. And why this club brought your guys' attention to the MLS? For me, it was because I grew well, I can say this for Raul too. We grew up down the street. I grew up on, on Hoover and 24th. Raul grew up on 25th and Hoover. So pretty much, you know, on the on the just one side over. And once we we started noticing that there was gonna be a team just down the street of where I used to go with my dad to go to see Golden Boy, you know, events at the sports arena. And we found out that the same thing to be there, you know, my brother and I just really got excited over that. And we're like, this is going to be the team for us. And now at this point, this is when I was really following Barcelona. You know, this is where I was really more into, into, into the sport. So that's where for me, it would just hit home. You know, it was right in our backyards where we grew up and, you know, it's just, it's, it always feels nice just even to this day, going to the bank and then just driving down Figueroa as, as I make my way back down to, to the Valley, still remembering all the different, you know, memories growing up in my childhood and how that connects to me. Yeah, pretty much Sir Francisco summed it up. I was actually at Tom's Urban at a watch party for Real Madrid versus Barcelona, Ronaldo Messi. And now I think he's a now he's a sales rep for LAFC. He actually came up to us and was talking to us about it about LAFC, about the project, about the 3252 and it was pretty in, intriguing because like I said earlier I was never into the MLS. So d- definitely caught my attention and knowing that it's it was walking distance from our homes and you know it, it really hit home once the jersey was in field and everything it just honestly it all fell into place and then um Kenny he he actually LAO was his idea so Kenny had mentioned LAO before I even had met Francisco so it's literally every like everything just just fell into place without even trying so wait you guys lived one block apart from each other growing up but had never met no, no. Uh, so I had met I had met Elio Francisco. I had seen him, but he he was already like married, doing the family thing. So we really didn't um hang out. Let me put it, let me put it like that. And Elio's Francisco's brother. Yeah, yeah Elio's, brother. Elio's, Elio's his younger brother. He's the one you see on all the Instagram pictures of anyone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's the energy I'll never have right there. You guys make sure to follow Elio24. <laughs> Shout out to Elio. Just send you headshots. <laughs> yeah, so he's my little brother. So he he's the one that, you know, connected me more with Raul and, and, and that group of guys um during during that that period, right? And growing up in those areas, it's like you know each other, but you don't, but then you know each other as you feel like you've known each other all your lives because 
the community in specific, I can only speak in regarding to like that section in West Adams, everyone kind of shares the same culture in terms of like the people that you know, right? We have all the different business owners, all the different families, they all know one another. So it's kind of like, oh, I, I know I've heard of you. So I know you in a way. And that's, and I think that's, that's what helped us, you know, mesh together. And I think that's where, like, I would say 80% of our members know each other, you know, for many years. Was it a small, like tight-knit group that was interesting at first and the rest of the neighborhood came along? Or was it kind of the whole few blocks radius there got behind you guys immediately? Like um, LAO? LAO, yeah, LAO. Or did they wait for the stadium to like actually be there and the... And the crest and the jersey. Um, what was it? So, you guys that so kind of brought him along. Kenny, Jeff. We we had a we had a handful of members, including me. But uh, this didn't kick off until like the first game. Until the first game, when literally childhood friends we hadn't seen in years were at the bank, and it was like it was like a high school reunion, like but just for the neighborhood. So it was just a vibe. Everybody's happy to see each other, and then um, yeah, like from there, every everybody just started joining, and. It took off, and we, I never expected it to be what it is now. What it is now is certainly the perfect reason to have you guys on the podcast this season. One of the major reasons why we wanted to bring LAO back on the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast is that this is a monumentous event in the history of the Los Angeles Football Club, in the history of the 3252. For the first time, we have a brand new ORSG this year. And LAO, congratulations, have finally earned their path into becoming an official member of the 3252. So on behalf of all of us at Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, we'd like to say congratulations. But we're very curious to hear the story, the path, the progress, the work that was put in to go from being just a few friends that ran into each other at the bank and the high school reunion, as you've described it, and describe growing and building that culture and brand to the point where you were able to sustain the numbers and support in order to officially join the 3252. All right. So, yeah. So I know, I think he he explained kind of like the origins a little bit of it. And they asked me and they asked me if, hey, you know, would you want to join LAO? You know, if, if, if you join, we want you to be the president. We want to, you know, and my, my first thing was my first thing that I told, I remember Kenny and, and Raul was, and my brother, cause he was, he was there too, was, well, if, if I'm, if I join, I want to make this an official thing. I don't want this to just be a social group. I want this to be a legit, an official supporter group with the union or, or with, with LAFC, whatever, whatever I said, you know, during that time. And they said, yeah, let's do it. So then that year we submitted our application. I believe that Joe and commander were, were the ones that the president, the vice president, um, that was back in what, August, 2018. I still have the email that I sent over to them um, with the application. I still have the application itself. Um, I think I should probably frame that just because it's, it's the same code of conduct, but it's just, it has our three signatures on it when we sent it in. And then, yeah. And after that, it was just more of like, how do we keep growing? And I think in the beginning we were in section 106, what is that? What section is that? 102? Like the first few games was like 102 on the opposite side because now we're in 106. I remember, I forgot who who said it, but they're like, hey, how, let's try sitting on that side next time, right? And we did. And we noticed that there were no other SGs on that side in, in 106. And that's how we just started growing from there. We applied. We did get, you know, a lot of feedback from from other groups and, and you know, Mauricio, you know, rest in peace. He, he, he was a big, big part of our success to this day and telling us and, and, and identifying what are what are our strengths and 
what we needed to do. But it was a lot of participating in 32, 52 events, TFOs, community service. It was a long process. I mean, we're looking at it now. We're in 2022, and this was back in 2018, right? And obviously with the pandemic and different things that occurred, you know, it's 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 been a long journey. So I know that I speak for everyone in terms of our members that we don't take it lightly and we're really happy to finally be an ORSG. So I think that's that's something that we we wear we wear proudly and we we want to continue to work hard and, and grow to continue contributing. And what kind of things were you guys doing in the community? Like what are what are the some of the skills, the assets, the things that you're you're um contributing back? Not only obviously what you do in the stands, this is this is kind of more of a lifestyle throughout the week. So aside from from our our careers, because a lot of us are actually in education, so we do a lot of different things within within our careers. We've had the privilege and to cooperate with different businesses. I know Caveman, you know, shout out to Nelson, he's helped us a lot with with Christmas and Thanksgiving um, drives. We have a Levanton, that's another business with you know I know you guys know Indie Brewery too. We did a lot of different things contributing to them in terms of the um to to give back to not only to kids in in our neighborhood but also in in Mexico and then when it comes down to the 3252 we we always make sure that we try to our best to be a part of all the different events that that they hold every other SG holds and if we can't attend physically we we always make it a thing to donate either if it's toys money supplies for school whatever is being collected we do our best to to contribute in any way that we can for any of the other members who listen to this show that might be part of a supporters group that has not yet made it into the 3252. Do you have any advice for those supporters being so successful in your endeavor to join as to what you would say to a member of an SG who might feel frustrated at the process or doesn't understand exactly the kind of work that y'all have put in to earn the status that you have now? What would you say to those fans and to those SGs to motivate them to continue on the path? I would say to be patient, you know, be patient. Patient is key. You know, it's it's a learning process. There's always going to be room to to be better. So I would pick those points where you can they can be better. Either it's in the stands, in the community, you know, TFOs, whatever, wherever, whatever area they think that you know they can be better. I would I would tell them to, you know, just put in the work. It will pay off. I would say don't get discouraged. It's really easy to get discouraged when you hear no, right, or you hear you know, you can't do this. You can't be a part of, of a 3252 for, for whatever reason, right? I, I would say don't, 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 don't get discouraged. Take it as a motivation to be better. Find areas that your SG can do more in, right? Whether it's the community, whether it's TFOs, whether it's watch parties, whether it's in the, in the North End, whatever it is, just don't be discouraged. Like Raul said, it's, it's all about patience. But I also, an important thing for me is I think, when I look back, we were just being ourselves, right? Like we we weren't trying to be another another SG. We weren't trying to mimic any other group. We weren't trying to, to force an image that wasn't who we truly are. And I think that that being authentic to to your group will spread to to the rest of the you know supporter groups in the council, and people will, will will respect you for that. But definitely don't get discouraged. It is really difficult, you know, to get involved and to get accepted into the union. But I think. More importantly, it should be more difficult to stay in the union, if, if you know what I'm saying, right? I want to make sure that that's very clear that being in there, it's a lot of work. And just because you, you're you in doesn't mean you made it, right? It's it's more of like, okay, now we got to go to a different gear and we have to contribute more than what we were prior to us not being official. And I think that's something that 
you know, right now we're still learning. Like Raul said, we're still a process. We're, we're learning our place in the union. We're learning, you know, how things work and, and all that stuff. But for the most part, we want to make sure that we're respect and contribute more than what we did in the past. And I think that's the guiding key that, that we try to share to our members throughout the season. Get curious now that you guys are in the 3252, is it different than you expected it would be without giving away any of the secret sauce? Is the work and the role that has changed since the promotion been what you expected it to be more challenging, less challenging? You know, I mean, is it is it any different than your anticipation of it would have been? I don't think so. I think that we've had the, the privilege of being involved since, you know, season one with TFOs and a lot of the different events and activities that, that have been that have happened. Uh, the only difference now is that we're in. Right. Like, I think that we were included in, in a lot of different things. And I think that speaks volumes to to our group as in, in, in general. So I don't think that there's anything different other than we get, you know, a seat at the table and we we have a voice and, and all that. But at the end of the day, like it's not given to us, it's earned. Right. And I think that's it speaks volumes to us. Like, OK, we, we there's no difference. The only thing is that we have to just push harder as a group to 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 do more. But no, I don't I don't think I don't have any. And again, just because I I. I personally, you know, spoken to so many leaders from other groups, so it just doesn't feel like it's something new, if that makes sense. I don't know if maybe Raul feels a little bit different, or my brother probably, or, or other of our council members, but for me personally speaking, it just feels like the same, but just now have what well, we have a, a say in, in certain things. And you get to attend those six hour long meetings, right? I mean, that's the <laughs> real joy of being in the 3252 council is, you know, that meeting that starts at, uh, you know, 7 p.m. and ends at 2 a.m., right? I mean, that's the real joy. Those are team bonding experiences. Team... <laughs> <laughs> that's what we call that in the in the corporate world, team bonding. That's I was about to say that. It's like we're hired as temps. Now we're we're full time employees attending these corporate <laughs> meetings. That's yeah. That's that's the only difference. That's it. Oh, gentlemen, that's that's brilliant. Thank you. Um, uh, before we get to our final question today, um, I have some questions about what you guys feel about the current state of the team. For many LAFC fans, this is a high water mark so far this season. Now, obviously, the season's a long way from over. And there's a lot left to be accomplished, but additions like Giorgio Chiellini, Gareth Bale, the performance of some of our star players, the progression of the Sifus, the Falls, the Opokus. I mean, it's really been a pretty wild ride this season. And from the supporter standpoint, from the LAO standpoint, what's kind of your take on the current state of LAFC? I love it. I love it. I mean, I think these were the expectations last year, the year before that. I think Christian knows I wasn't the biggest Bob Bradley fan. <laughs> so I was so excited for this season. Everything's just going as it should. I mean, we have the team and the coach to be performing how we are. No complaints on my side. I think for me, it's like just when you think the standard can't be broken to another, you know, higher aspect of it, it it just it just gets keeps getting broken. You know, Gillini, that was one. And then they hit us with Bell after it was just like, what? Like, what's next? And then we had those rumors with Suarez, like to me, like it, it, this is it's it, do do we get used to this type of, of news now? Or is it or is it something that, you know, these standards are being are being brought higher and higher? And I it's it's exciting. Well, I, I can see that the wheels fall off, I think, in 2020 with Bob. Uh, it was a little more hope, right, um, after the CCL. But I do agree with you both, or well, my opinion is the team's one more mature. I think the approach is more mature. I think the game planning is, is, is better. I think the depth helps to be able to do that, too. 
Um, so I think the front office helped a lot with that. But I think Chirundolo is more pragmatic and game plans for each team. It's, it's not like my way or the highway, with, with how it was with Bob. It can be entertaining. It can be defensively entertaining. We can we can almost counter in every approach the team we play against. And I think we're we can be on the front for a counterattack or be defensive. And the fact that we can do all those three things, it, it makes me feel more comfortable. Like, I don't think we have to outscore teams like we did in the past with Bob because the defensive was so weak. I, like, we score one, I feel like, all right, if we're ahead by one, it's possible. It's possible. And now it, as the season progresses and the team gets more mature with Kelini, it just feels like it's more of a certainty. You're going to get very few chances. So um, that's my LAO thought. But I, I hate to do this. I hate to do this. But uh, I'm going to interrupt you for a moment. And uh, if y'all would permit me, a moment of silence. We just lost Vin Scully. Oh. Wow. Wow. Not exactly the best news to get on the podcast while we're recording, but uh, couldn't couldn't pass the moment up to pay our respects to the greatest, greatest man behind the microphone ever. Sorry, sorry. Big, big moment in the span of the LAFC and the greater Los Angeles sporting scene. The person we all wanted to be an honorary Falconer and uh, rest in peace. The greatest, greatest ever sports broadcaster. Sorry to sorry to put a dark cloud over the pod, but uh, that news just crossed my path here and uh, had to had to kind of throw that down. Uh, gentlemen, getting back on the rails here. Uh, rest in peace, Mr. Scully. You will be missed. Kind of curious what your predictions are for the remainder of the season. Do you think LAFC has what it takes to hoist a supporter shield? Or are we going to be able to see out to potentially uh, uh, setting a record for points in a season? And what are your expectations for postseason? I know in our heart, it's every trophy and every cup. But putting your realistic caps on here, what do you think is going to happen throughout the course of the rest of the season? Going to be honest, if we would have lost our last game, I would have been like maybe, maybe competing for the cup. But I, I think we have everything to win a double, win the supporter shield, and win the title. The last couple of seasons, how many times did we lose versus them at the bank? So that that win to me was huge. It was it was huge. It was motivation. I feel like it help the the teams well the team self-esteem because we we beat a good team that they always bring in when we play at the bank i think with the moves that the front office has done you know for me it's 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 everything right you could the supporter shield the mls cup I, if if they're doing these moves they're they're they want it as, as bad as we do that's that's the way that i see it and i think that's my expectation win them both win them both and and then next year, try to get the, the back-to-back. Well, we really appreciate you guys coming on. You know, again, this is LAO. You can follow them at LAFC, LAO. And uh, before we finish up here, we obviously do have one last question. It's the name of our show, you know, and so we would love to hear from you guys what your interpretation is. What does shoulder-to-shoulder mean to you? Raul, why don't you go ahead and go first? Go for first. Me, shoulder-to-shoulder is just loyalty, brotherhood. Be shoulder to shoulder. The next person next next to you is is family, and you can show up to the north end on any any given game day, and you can look over and you already know that 
most of the time it's all love. Yeah, same here. It's family, family, brotherhood, family again, family again, over and over again. What really matters the most is is the crest, right? I think that's the crest, the city, and everything else is just a just a plus. I think just having a team here and the way that that they're performing on the field and the way that they're the standings, the wins, the experiences that we've all you know experienced these past five years, all the all those you know moments that they've given to us shoulder to shoulder for me it's it's stand next to the family that that has that same crest and that follows that same crest amen gentlemen uh we really appreciate you coming back on the show a triumphant return so glorious of you guys to have finally made the status of orsg we are eternally happy for lao uh, i was completely deserving and i'm very sorry that uh the covid pandemic and some of the fallout from that affected the promotion and it came much later than it probably should have um, but hats off to each and every one of you in the sg for sticking to it uh rising above all of that and still managing to keep a positive attitude and keep moving in the right direction to make it and i truly think that that is uh, an inspirational and motivating story for every other sg and every other lafc fan to see that if you put in the work both in the community and in the stands you grow your numbers, you build your support, that there is a path for anyone to make it into the 3252. Uh, it is quite an honor and a privilege, and uh, your SG and both of you are most deserving of that. So congratulations again from us. Thank you, gentlemen, so much for coming on the show. Folks, we are going to take a quick break, and we will be right back with today's opponent correspondent. Thank you, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Jonathan. Thank you, Chris. Christian. Hey, it's Kevin Frazier from Entertainment Tonight. And listen, I am an LAFC super fan. So I always make sure I download and listen to Shoulder to Shoulder podcasts. They keep me updated. But more importantly, I get to listen to these dudes' opinions about the team I love the most. Keep doing your thing, guys. Joining us now is our opponent correspondent for RSL, Caleb Turner. Please give him a follow at Caleb Turner 23. That's C-A-L-E-B-T-U-R-N-E-R 23. He is a sports writer for KSL.com. Welcome to Shoulder to Shoulder Podcast, Caleb. Thank you. Thank you. Happy to be here. Really appreciate you coming on and joining us. My apologies, Christian. Didn't mean to overspeak you there. So this is going to be the first of two meetings this season for LAFC versus RSL. Uh, we have the game coming up this Saturday at Rio Tinto Stadium. Then y'all going to be making the trek out to the bank on 9-4. So September 4th night game at the bank. We know that is going to be a big day because LAFC are going to have a full and proper tailgate that day. Should be a pretty fun one. So what we'd kind of like to start out hearing with is some big picture, kind of state of the franchise for us. We have some new leadership in place. So what is the feeling around the club and the supporters right now? Yeah, you know, um, it's it's definitely a, an optimistic feeling, I think, um, especially with the new ownership that came in in January. Um, and then with, you know, a somewhat surprising start to the season, um, you know, definitely a better record than I think a lot of people anticipated, especially uh, about a month ago, you know, top three in the West there for a little bit. Um, things have kind of uh, tailed off just a bit, uh, which is making fans a uh, little bit uh, anxious, hopefully, that the team does something here, the transfer deadline. Um, but yeah, over, overall, certainly um, very positive. Uh, the fans have really um, shown out this season so far, um, a record number of uh, sellouts in a row at Rio Tinto Stadium to begin the season um so yeah definitely some good energy 
um, and some solid results, even though uh, there have been some uh, some stinkers as well. <laughs> Not only is there new ownership <clears throat> at the tail end of last season, Mastroeni came in and yep. you no know, was able to rally the troops in a very unconventional way, had a mini run into the playoffs. And I think uh, the start of the season, it isn't as surprising. I think there was a good structure and some trust built at the end of last season. Can you talk a little bit about uh, what you've seen um, being more of an avid watcher and a beat writer with with the team this season um, under his leadership? Yeah, yeah, they definitely talk about it a lot, just how good the locker room is. Um, he, you know, Pablo Mastroni talks a lot about the mentality of the team um, and how they never quit. You know, that there, there's been a couple comeback victories. We had one at home against Austin and then also came back in Montreal to get the team's first ever win in Montreal just a couple months ago. Um, so definitely some some gritty performances, which I think we saw in the postseason last year as well. Um, you know, RSL definitely not expected to go as far as they did in the playoffs. So kind of coming off that, I think they realized, you know, all right, this can kind of be our MO, right? We're, we're going to be the team that goes out there, kind of kind of grinds it out a little bit. Might not be, you know, the most liked team or the most flashy team, but uh, just trying to get results. And honestly, that kind of showed uh, this, this past week on the road in San Jose as well. It looked pretty pretty certain to be a, a road loss. That's been pretty common for this team. Not super good on the road, um, but they were able to grind it out and got a stoppage time goal to, to get a point on the road. So definitely kind of a, a gritty uh, comeback kids kind of vibe. Over the course of the last month, the team has just one win versus cellar dwelling sporting Kansas City. Uh, other than that, we have you know losses to Minnesota, a couple ties spattered in there versus Colorado, and of course the the San Jose match you just mentioned. Another loss to Atlanta from from the moment where you were sitting top of the table or close to uh, to the point now where the team has slid a little bit. What do you think has been the rallying point that that has caused the team to slide so far of late? What do you think are the big issues that the team needs to address if they're to do anything at this transfer deadline or if they're going to look to rally the squad between now and the end of the season? Yeah, you know, I think it's no surprise. Um, no, no secret. I think anybody who who uh, has watched RSL in the last couple of months would tell you this. They need a striker. Um, they you know, I've seen numerous articles, you know, from ESPN and even some that I've ever written myself as well, just saying, you know, they're one striker away from potentially being right back in that in that top three. Right. Um, certainly a lack of goals, lack of goal scoring ability, finishing ability. Um, a couple of weeks ago uh, at home, the team put up 25 shots and was un- unable to get uh, a goal. So, you know, it's definitely a striker, I think, is the number one priority, the transfer deadline. Um, I personally have not uh, seen names yet of, of who that might be, um, but there, there's confidence uh, certainly among uh, the head coach in the front office. They're actually looking to get a forward, a, uh, a midfielder, and uh, outside back, hopefully before Thursday. So we'll see if all three actually happen. I'd be surprised. Um, but I think if they're able to get a striker, uh, that would be really positive. Yeah, I know. I think Krylak can only do so much on his own. He definitely needs the help up there. Well, and, and he's actually been out the whole season. So, oh. yeah. Well, like <laughs> so, I said, Krylak can only do so much on his own. Yeah. Especially if there's no backup. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> so he he only he's only played, I think he played in like three games before a uh, back injury took him out for the season. Um, so I think for sure his loss, you know, not having the goal scoring ability there, um, impacted the team a lot in that May June time period where they were really really struggling for goals. Um, they brought in Jefferson Saverino, um, Venezuelan player who was previously with the club, right. and now he's back. 
Um, and not a traditional striker. He usually plays wing, um, but he has really picked up um, the slack there with goal scoring. And he was the one that was able to get the stoppage time goal against San Jose just this past weekend. So, And there's been some drama, right, with Ochoa as well. Are you able <laughs> to speak a little bit on that? Uh, yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, um, basically what I know is, um, they are, RSL was looking to, uh, get him, get him to sign a, a contract extension, um, and talks stalled out. They could never really come to an agreement. They, um, he was for lack of a better term, kind of iced out, um, while, uh, not signing that extension, uh, was not practicing with the team, not playing with the team, obviously, um and so it came to the point where they uh, i mean as as everyone knows now they traded him to um dc just this last week and it's kind of been um branded by the club and a little bit from ochoa as well as i guess a win-win for both the club and ochoa kind of hard to see it that way i think for him sure because he gets to play um but for the club um you know did not get uh you know as much money as i think they kind of could have hoped for given the in the rumored interest that he had um and also you know you you give up a 21 year old uh promising goalkeeper that was you know potentially a cornerstone of your franchise so hard to see it as a win-win they're trying to spin it that way um but i think yeah obviously a huge loss and definitely um you know the the black mark on the season so far i would say it's always hard as a fan of a team to stomach anyone selling an addition by subtraction, right? I mean, that's that's a difficult place for any fan to to really say, oh, okay, sure, yeah, we lost somebody, but we didn't really get anything back, but somehow that's a positive for us. I could see how how that would be a difficult thing for, for any fan to stomach. What I'm curious of is in this upcoming fixture versus LAFC, who do you expect to be in the 11 and in the 18? And how do you expect RSL to stack up versus an LAFC team? Yeah, you know, over the past few weeks, they, they've uh, been able to work out a pretty consistent 11, um, which let's see if I can do it from memory here. Um, up top, they've uh, kind of converted Saverino into a striker alongside uh, Sergio Cordova. Um, I'm not sure if he'll start Cordova uh, as a striker has had his fair share of issues. Um, I believe only three or four goals uh, on the season so far. So not what you want from your starting striker. Um, And he missed a gimme actually last week against San Jose that had fans uh, wanting to storm the gates at Rio Tinto, I think. Um, So he's, he's had his fair share share of struggles. Uh, So they'll look at maybe some other options uh, as far as forward it could be rubio rubin who has had some time at forward as well um and then behind them um on the wings you've got justin miram and then michael chang uh defensive midfielders jasper loffelson uh who's actually a rookie uh first german player to ever play for rsl um and then pablo ruiz the uh argentine um down there in the midfield ruiz was suspended last week due to yellow card so he should be back um, and then back line is left back Andrew Brody, center backs Justin Glad. Justin Glad's been having a really nice season. Um, he was kind of getting genuine a little bit of all-star buzz before he went out with an injury. And obviously with it being Real Salt Lake, not a whole lot of attention when it comes to all-stars. Um, Marcelo Silva is his center back mate. And then at right back, they have Aaron Herrera. So um, both right backs are kind of homegrown guys, went through the academy, Brody and Herrera. And then a goalkeeper, Zach McMath, who was Ochoa's backup uh, last year and has uh, done well 
in the starting role with with Ochoa out. Um, I think obviously, you know, not a whole lot of upside with him being, you know, a 12-year veteran in the league. He's kind of had his prime, I think, um, but certainly uh, a serviceable starter um, that's had, I think he's still top three in the league in saves, top five in shutouts. So, uh, so pretty good. And how do you feel RSL fair at home in the oh, altitude? Yeah. yeah. You know, they, they've been really good at home this season. RSL has, um, they just, uh, just got their first loss at home just, uh, two weeks ago. Um, so I think they've got a better chance at home than they do in LA probably. Um, but having said that, obviously, um, you know, the firepower the LAFC has, uh, you know, no, nobody, nobody wants to go up against that. I think, I think it's certainly an intimidating, uh, prospect for any team at this point in the season, especially with the additions you guys have had. Um, I'm, I'm personally super excited to see Gareth Bale. Actually, uh, I've been a Tottenham fan for the last 10, 15 years of my life. So, um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see him. Not, do you guys think he'll start any, any chance? Uh, I think no, there's a chance. No. I think there's I, a chance. We'll I, I would say yes, there is a chance, yeah. uh, but I would rate that chance at slim to none. You know, as Chirundolo said in a press conference earlier this week, when asked about how he felt the current status of Gareth Bale was, his response was, yeah, he's about three weeks into training. You know, he's about three weeks into a preseason. And, and that's exactly how he looked at it. I really think the club likes him coming in late in games after the tempo and pace of the game has already set itself. It tends to be settled at that point. There's less point, you know, for a chippy injury, I think, to happen when he comes in late. It gives everyone that moment of, oh, he's warming up and he comes into the game. There's There's a little bit more pomp and circumstance to him arriving late. And I think as they build his minutes towards the end, they're just going to keep bringing him in five to 10 minutes earlier. So I, I do think there's a chance he might play 30 minutes in this game, but I don't think from a tactical standpoint, it makes a whole lot of sense to sub someone out in the 30th minute of a first half. I think it makes a lot more sense to sub someone out in the 60th minute and bring him in. So I think that's what we've seen from Torundolo so far for him to flip the script in this match. Doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Dolo's kind of stuck to his tactical guns so far this season. So that would be my two cents on it. But speaking of tactics, this LAFC team that in previous seasons under Bob Bradley played a much more possession oriented and free flowing four, three, three. But in the past few weeks with Dolo having a chance to really implement the Steve Chirundolo system, we've seen a much more counter-attacking style of play from LAFC, especially with them on the road. So I'm curious, how do you think RSL is going to line up tactically versus LAFC? What are they going to attempt to employ if LAFC is surrendering the majority of the possession and attempting to play counter-attacking football? Yeah, it's it's kind of funny you mentioned that because I think I think RSL plays a, a similar brand. Um not not a big possession team. Um, they they've they've struggled, I think, to really uh, dominate large periods of possession throughout games, um, and definitely depend on kind of those quick counterattacks. Um, you know, getting getting the, and off the break uh, and and acting quickly. Um, I think you know the the defense has been solid for for RSL this year. Um, it's kind of, definitely kind of a bend don't break defense. Um, where, where I think, you know, having Justin Glad and Marcelo Silva back there, um, they, they've been able to uh, put together a surprising number of clean sheets. I, I will say the team struggles uh, in, in the first half. Um, I, I wouldn't be surprised if, if LAFC comes out, you know, drops a couple in the first half. I can see this kind of going similar to the Austin FC match 
um, that we had here uh, at Rio Tinto a couple months ago, late April, actually, I think. Um, Austin went up 2-0 in the first half, and uh, Arcel actually came back. Uh, actually, I think Austin might have gone up 1-0, and Arcel came back to win it 2-1. Uh, uh, 5-14, final score, 2-1, you beat Austin. Yes, thank you, thank you. So, yeah, you know, I, I think I wouldn't be surprised if that's the way things go um, with just the firepower that, that you guys have out of the gate. Um, I, I think and, uh, and but who knows, you know, you mentioned the altitude as well, you know, and that might be another factor into um, them not wanting to to start or play guys like Gareth Bale heavy minutes if they haven't, you know, had a chance to adjust to that kind of thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, I haven't really had the chance to talk to a lot of away players coming to salt lake to kind of ask them what it's like um it's always just us asking the guys who you know live here and train here so i'm, I'm kind of curious what that'll be like for the guys i hope to maybe even get into uh um the the away locker room and maybe maybe chat with um some of the lafc players to kind of see what their experience is like here um but yeah as far as the formation it's basically been you know uh, a, a, a four and then the two defensive midfielders two wings and two forwards um so i think that's probably what we'll see um there's a slight chance there's that we have a youngster who's coming up named Diego Luna um and he uh played for the U21 US team um during their World Cup uh sorry Olympic qualifying uh the last month and he's been coming on late um in games but I think he so he plays more of a 10 which is a position that um RSL doesn't really have uh, an established 10 at this time so I think we can maybe see he him coming in and Saverino moving up a little bit higher as being maybe the sole striker. Um, but either way, I think this team's got some things to figure out as far as uh, offense and scoring goals. Hopefully the defense uh, is their strong point, though. Sounds like a defensive 4-4-2 that can shift into a 4-2-3-1. Yeah. Right? It's funny what you describe RSL in terms of how they start, how they approach the game. It's almost LAFC. This last game was the first game in a long time they actually scored in the first half. We yeah. have slow starts. I'd say the team is pragmatic. I don't I don't say they seed possession because it can control uh, large portions of possession, but sometimes tactically they don't. Um I I do agree with some of the comments that uh, Trunel has said is like they plan a half by half according to the team and I think the lineup says that too in terms of the striker trio and the midfield trio. So, um I'm enjoying this because as a like football nerd, it's cool to see kind of the mind games of the chess playing being played by, by the two two managers. And I think Mastroianni's kind of doing that with what he has available to him, you know, setting up defensively to counter. And he has two two quick guys up top, and that's you know that's the best way to put your team in a position to win, especially the altitude. And the last yeah. comment I'll make is uh, Chiellini has kind of made made a comment about you know my my teammates tell me about you know Colorado and uh, Salt Lake. Um, and I think I've heard Gareth say something to that effect too. So they don't necessarily change environments so much in those smaller European countries. So it's, you know, it's something they haven't experienced. And it's, to me, it sounds like they're excited about it versus uh, seeing it a, as a detrimental challenge is more of a, a challenge that they want to take on and see how they could contribute to the team. For sure. Yeah. So I suppose that leads us to what are your predictions for this upcoming match? And then if you could follow that up with what are your predictions slash expectations for RSL throughout the remainder of the season postseason? Yeah, you know, that's a that's a really good question. And this Real Salt Lake team might be one of the hardest to predict in, in the whole league because, uh, 
I I don't know what's going to happen to be honest. <laughs> um, they, they've they've had a roller coaster of a season, up and down. They'll they'll beat teams three nil, or then they'll lose, or they'll have a zero zero draw against a bad team, or lose to a bad team, whatever it might be. Um, so I I think you know, RSL's probably playing for a tie in this game. Um, I I think you know I certainly wouldn't be surprised if towards the end of the first half, you know maybe fortieth, forty you know forty fifth minute uh lafc scores you know maybe goes up one zero um and we probably end up with with a one one draw uh i think that's probably going to be my, my prediction that that feels right for right now um and then as far as the rest of the season um you know i i think Ross Ali can make the playoffs um they might and it might end up being closer than they originally wanted it to be they might sneak into one of those last couple spots in the west um, but who knows, you know, depending on the transfer deadline this week, if they do end up getting a big signing and they can start scoring goals in bunches, uh, you know, that, that could certainly change things up and shoot them back into the top three. Um, because the, the, uh, the foundation for a really good team is there. Uh, the coach is there, the, the defense is there, the structure is kind of there. It's just that last spark, um, to kind of finish things off. Um, that's really lacking right now, going back to Cordova just for a second, you know, you mentioned the speed up top that RSL needs to hopefully counterattack. One thing that Pablo Mastroni has mentioned that he likes about Cordova is, is his speed and his size that he's able to kind of pressure that back line of the opponent and, and really try and uh, get in there back behind uh, defenses. And so, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if they do end up um, staying with Cordova to hopefully, um, you know, compete with a little bit of, of the size and athleticism that he brings versus what is obviously a very capable LAFC team. Uh, I'm not sure if he would go with somebody who's a little bit less proven or a little bit less uh, physically imposing against a team like LAFC. Um, so he might see Cordova. Hopefully, you know, he's uh, he can figure some things out. Master Randy mentioned that he thinks a lot of it's mental right now with him as a striker. He hasn't seen one going to the back of the net in a little while, just one goal in his last nine games. Um, so his, his, his uh, thought right now is, Hey, if he can get one in, then uh, that should hopefully open the floodgates for more to come. So between him and Saverino, hopefully so they can get at least one to get that draw. Well, I, I, you know, look, if, if RSL sneaks in just across the playoff line, then you're likely to be taking on an Austin FC in that opening round. And I think for many of us across the Western Conference, uh, if you end up playing Cinderella and taking out Austin early on, uh, something that RSL has already done this season in beating Austin, uh, that would be something that the rest of us would really appreciate. So we're we're rooting for you in that regard here in Los Angeles. Uh, we're hoping you knock those Verdes out in the postseason. But uh, Caleb, we'd really like to thank you for coming on and sharing your thoughts on this weekend's match with us. Once again, folks, our opponent correspondent this week has been Caleb Turner. Please give him a follow at Caleb Turner 23. He represents KSL.com sports as the RSL beat writer. Thank you so much for coming and joining us, Caleb. Folks, we will be right back with the final segment of today's show after this quick break. Yeah, what's up, familiar it's your boy here once again, the Hood Foodie. And today you're listening to the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. So make sure you guys come out, support, and tell them that the Hood Foodie sent you. Alrighty, gentlemen. It's been an emotional show so far. We've had a deep dive into the conversations around the homophobic goal kick chant. We had a great conversation with LAO describing their path to becoming 3252. And we have gotten all prepped for our upcoming match versus RSL. 
the show had a startling moment in which it was revealed to us the passing of legendary Dodgers broadcaster Vin Scully. We would once again, you know, send our thoughts out there to everyone within the Dodger Blue community. This is a loss that will reverberate through the entire Los Angeles sporting community and will certainly have an impact on Bank of California Stadium and the Los Angeles Football Club as well, too. It's been a crazy episode so far, boys, but it's time for us to go ahead and wrap it up and give our predictions for RSL this weekend. Uh, we do have the variable, of course, that LAFC will be playing an exhibition match tomorrow at time of recording versus Club America that uh, on some freshly laid sod, which I guess is better than turf, but still not ideal conditions. And hopefully the team makes it out of that without injury and without any fatigue building up for this weekend. But given that we have a midweek game, a very prominent game that's going to have a lot of eyes on it. Boys, what are your predictions for this upcoming match versus RSL? 2-1, Gareth and Chicho. I think that LAFC is going to come out and be pretty dominant against RSL. It's, uh, you know, one of those teams that's kind of struggling at the moment. You know, it, it's, it's been a very ugly, ugly July. Three losses, two ties, one win, and that was against Sporting Kansas City, who is in the cellar right now for the Western Conference. I think that LAC is going to have a heavy rotation. You look at the 32-man roster that uh, came out for the match against Club America, I think that LAFC is going to use that as an opportunity to give a lot of some of the some of the younger players an opportunity to play. Christian Torres is on the roster. Uh, Ethan or- Ordaz is on the roster. Tony Leone is on the roster, right? So I think that some of those players that have potentially been with uh, Las Vegas or are some of the players that haven't gotten a lot of minutes are going to see some of the freshest uh, some of the freshest minutes and get the most time. So uh, LFC should have fresh legs for RSL this upcoming weekend. So I expect LFC to win. I'm gonna uh, look. We're Rarely ever on this show are we going to predict LAFC find themselves a loss. I do think there are potentials for this to be an Akbar game with the team having the midweek match with them traveling to altitude. But, you know, I look at these rosters and how they stack up against one another. And I have to feel that LAFC has the more dominant player in all 11 positions, even probably five or six deep on our bench. I think we have the better team than RSL. And even given the adverse conditions and the midweek match, I would be astonished if LAFC did not win this game and win it handily. Can this team make some mistakes? And will those mistakes result in a goal? Potentially. But I think LAFC are going to keep the clean sheet in this game. And I think we're looking at a 3-0 victory to the black and gold. I'm going to go ahead and agree with Christian that Chicho and Bale both find the back of the net. But we have this other player. He's pretty darn good in the name of Carlos Vela. And he's recently found himself back on the score sheet. And I think, you know, goals tend to come in bunches. And I think now that Vela is off the schneid, he's getting back into the back of the net. And this is going to be a 3-0 victory with goals from Vela, Chicho, and Carlitos Vela. Gentlemen, any final thoughts on today's episode before we wrap it up? Nothing except uh, for those going to League's Cup Showcase. Show out, show the rest of the sporting world in Mexico and here in the United States how LAFC does it, and I anticipate that's gonna be a spectacle. And I'm I'm glad to your to your point that sod is being put in because um, to me that's a preview of some of the Olympic games coming up, some of the World Cup games in the in the near future as well. So I want to see how all that is handled, work out the kinks, see a big stadium like that's beautiful, 
have a, a proper football match, not an American football match. Yeah, and of course, this episode will probably come out after that game. So you all already know exactly how this played out. So uh, hopefully all of the things that Christian has forecasted have gone out well. Folks, we would like to thank everyone who took part in today's episode. We would like to give a shout out to Len Lonzi. We'd like to thank the guys at LAO, both Francisco and Raul. We'd like to thank Caleb Turner for joining us as our opponent correspondent. And on behalf of myself, Jonathan, Chris, Christian, the legendary sound engineer, Wilton, we'd like to thank you all for listening to episode 130 of Shoulder to Shoulder podcast. A very pleasant good evening to all of you, Los Angeles. Take us home, sticks. Shoulder to shoulder. Together, this our culture. From the force of a supernova. Stay flying that FC dorsum. Hey, shopping down to Nikki's Koreatown Liddy. Cape us old mommy, about to drop her fifth. They won't need to stop, but I ain't. Come to my house, I'll defend that bank.